You've been working bank robbery, what, 22 years? Yeah, 22 years. So a guy with that kind of timing must have some theory about these guys. Leave it alone, Johnny. Okay, fine, you've given up. Fine. It doesn't mean I have to. Hey, hey, listen. Forget about it, kid. They are ghosts. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Okay, hot shot. You want to nail the bank robbers and be a big hero? Then here it is. The ex-presidents are surfers. Today, as part of our throwback series, we'll be discussing Point Break. Starring Keanu Reeves. Buddy, this is your fucking wake-up call, man. I am an FBI agent. I know, man. Isn't it wild? Patrick Swayze. This was never about money for us. It was about us against the system. That system that kills the human spirit. Laurie Petty. Too much testosterone here. John C. McGinley. Yes, your approach to this whole goddamn case bothers me. And yes, you bother me! And Gary Boosie. Utah, give me two. Directed by Catherine Bigelow. Nice point break. Long workable race. Serves up ace. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The little hand says it's time to rock and roll. It's Gally in Glasgow. I take the skin off chicken. It's Devlin in London. Oh, oh, oh okay. You see guys said a kid run through here with a car stereo? He sold it from me. It's Patrick from London. Back off, war child. Seriously. They call me Matt Azafa. Not really. It's Matt in South Korea. Welcome to season three of the Rewire Movie Podcast. Yes, Halloween is our end of year or end of season. So... If you, um, if you sort of parallel the show to US Hitch TV shows, then season three is normally when it starts getting good. Have I got another series? Give me another series, you shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to, to kick off season three, um, I'm looking out the window right now and, uh, it's miserable. All the leaves are dead and, uh, and it's raining intermittently and has been for the last several days so what better film could we be throwing back to galley we are going to go to 1991 catherine bigelow's point break devlin why didn't you go down the california dreaming route with all the leaves are brown and the sky is gray uh, you know what i i sort of i i headed down towards it but i i, I backed <laughs> out it's also you um, went with all the leaves are dead <laughs> and the sky is black <laughs> Just like his heart, because he loves Halloween. <laughs> the goth within me has seeped out again. <laughs> all the leaves are dead, and all the birds are dead, <laughs> and everything is dead. Dev Raven. <laughs> Point break. I know, who would have thought that Devlin isn't a big Mamas and Papas fan? I mean, that is, that is a shock. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're, uh, we're talking Point Break, and, uh, well, I'll just get straight out and tell you guys, I, I genuinely don't remember a time when this film wasn't in my life. I know I wasn't popping zits on my funny face and jerking off to the lingerie section of the Sears catalogue, <laughs> which for UK listeners, the equivalent is probably the Great Universal catalogue, which I'm sure we all had. Or the Case catalogue. <laughs> yeah, it depends where you are. In Stoke, it was always the Great Universal catalogue for me. Uh, some lo- lovely brassiers. Ask, asking your mum to uh, get, your, get the, the fancy trainers so you can pay them off over 52 weeks. <laughs> yeah, what about you, Devs? What about you? Was the first time you saw Point Break? 
I have seen it uh, a, f- a couple of times, but it's not one that I that I watched a, a whole bunch really. Um, and uh, watching it this week was the first time I'd seen it in the first time I'd seen the whole film in in many a year. Uh, certain sequences were really kind of burned into the memory, but um, yeah, it had been a, it had been a while since I'd actually sat down and watched it all the way through. Um, it was. I don't know whether it was one that, that that was on rotation quite as heavily in in our house. Although I did watch it and I did enjoy it, but um, yeah, gonna be fun to 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 dredge up some of those memories from a bit further back in the in the memory banks. But um, how about Patrick? Very similar to you, Dublin. Actually, there was kind of sequences and scenes that were very memorable and very familiar to me when I watched it again this week. But I don't really remember. I didn't really remember the film that much at all. Um, in fact, Gally, I'm going to go so far as to say that I didn't. I don't think I liked this film that much the first time I ever watched it. Oh, thank uh, you. Oh, God, my God, you prefaced it with that. I thought you were about. I thought we were about to get into it straight away. Ten minutes no. into the pod, fisticuffs, you and me. <laughs> you what? <laughs> bring it on. Uh, and yeah, uh, the leaves is dead. So will you be? Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't remember liking. Not like, not liking this film, but it, first time I saw it, I kind, oh God, I can't, you're not going to like this, Gally, but I've, I've forgotten about it. I didn't, it didn't make an impression on me too much apart from the action sequences. Um, and as for Bigelow, uh, I haven't really seen many of her, her films, more the more recent ones like Hurt Locker Zero Dark Thirty in Detroit, but it's not her back catalogue. So I don't, I don't, I don't remember watching it because of her, but I think I remember watching it years ago because the film had, you know, it's it's endlessly on a list of films that are kind of great action movies, especially the 90s. Um, Yeah, so it's going to be a good chat. Matt, your history with this film? I have the same one as Gally, really, but I, I can't remember a time when it wasn't there. I didn't watch it as often as some of the other ones we've we've mentioned, but uh I have absolutely no interesting origin stories with this one at all it's because I just can't remember I've really racked my brain because I really try and track it down like do a first encounters with each each film that we choose but I, it's always been there it's a ubiquitous film again we mentioned earlier that it, although it's ubiquitous we probably wouldn't put it in a in a bargain bin but um yeah we can leave that for later it's always been there I've I have no memory of seeing it for the first time it's just <laughs> always been kind of on on that periphery so yeah would you guys especially devlin and patrick would you like a plot summary before we get into point break catherine bigelow and all things bodie please do southern california is the bank robbing capital of the world and young dumb and full of cum blue flamer johnny utah played by keanu reeves is out to infiltrate the notorious ex-presidents a group of bank robbers who are surfers and ghosts, <laughs> if you believe a word that Pappas says in this film. Led by the charismatic quasi-cult leader, Bodhi, played by Patrick Swayze, who is searching for the ultimate ride and is willing to pay the ultimate price for it. Utah meets Tyler, played by Laurie Petty, a female surfer who Bodhi shared time with. And we think a romance may be blossoming between Johnny and Tyler. Until Johnny's head is for turning as he follows his true love, 
Bodhi into a world of self-destruction and supposed spiritual enlightenment. Will Johnny get his man and be the big hero? Or will the string of dead bodies left in his wake make him see that his actions throughout this entire film were all in service of nothing? Deeply, deeply cynical reading of Point Break there, guys. I don't know what you thought. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's quite a sparse plot, isn't it? So I think you did well there to, to pad it out a bit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, uh, uh, it's kind of the great thing about it, kind of straight off the bat, is that it firmly sits in kind of elevator pitch territory. And also, re- where the way you read it, Gally, make it um, quite a serious reading of the film, I think it's quite an important thing uh, when considering the plot and the script of it. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's uh one thing that, that really struck me is that um I actually started reading about the the film, trying to do some background reading before I actually got around to watching the film. Um just for for time issues. So I was reading a lot of um like articles, uh, uh there's a great one on Birth Movies Death, uh which was written by uh Priscilla Page, which I I, I really enjoyed. Um which was talking about, you know, the the, the the deeper readings that people have put into it and the kind of, you know, the subversions that it hid. And I, th- I think after reading all that, I was primed for something that was going to be, um, uh, uh, more kind of abstracted and weird and, um, and that was going to be like weighted down by all of these themes. But when you actually get back to watching it, it still remembers to just be like quite a fun dumb action film on its surface is is that is that an unfair thing like um i mean no. the, the the performances are really cranked up in a lot of cases uh like a lot of people are really pitching it quite at quite a high high pace john c mcginley being one of the first people that we meet <laughs> is going full john c mcginley from minute one but i know i think that's a fair reading devlin uh i think I I was watching it this week and and I was thinking to myself in the lexicon of kind of dumb action films I'm not com- I'm not sure in 2020 that uh Point Break gets enough gets enough love or enough referential love uh, like I think about a film like The Rock that Michael Bay directed say 5 years mm. later and that's seen as like this sort of turning point in 90s action that then you know becomes and you could probably say Bad Boys as well, which is also helmed by Michael Bay. And I think Point Break is doing all of that stuff way before in 91. Uh, and it just so happens to be that, that you know, people gravitate towards Michael Bay, I guess, because he becomes a staple of this genre for decades to come, which is a bit of a shame. But, but yeah. I, well, I think I, that the fact that they tried to, to remake it, um, the, the 2015 remake that, maybe get into um it failed on on many levels and the fact that the the original is still going strong um and they they tried with fast and the furious i mean that got closer um you know there's there's a lot of parallels there you've got paul walker's cop who infiltrates uh the adrenaline junkie races uh using a girl initially to get in gets too close to them befriends the leader who's vin diesel he's kind of a mentor figure um, you know, it, it's all, it's all tied in. There's even a tuna sandwich that, that is a bit of a weird reference. Uh, <laughs> yes. Johnny, Johnny Utah orders a tuna on rye, I think, when Gary Busey is getting his, uh, meatball sandwiches. Two. Two. <laughs> Give me two. <laughs> and, uh, Paul Walker does the same <laughs> when he walks in. So there's definitely a, a, a reference there. There's, there's all kinds of faults though. I mean, the, uh, 
Diesel kind of breaks up a fight, which is kind of similar to Patrick Swayze. It seems to hit all the all the beats. The the surfers have become amateur street racers. Um, mm. It kind of plays like a computer game in a weird way, a lot like uh, some of the sequences in the the Point Break remake. Um, but yeah, there's lots of stuff that's similar. There's a love interest. Um, uh, it's a very odd ending. I'm not sure if they were setting up for a sequel immediately immediately but uh it's kind of a premature ending with a jar rule song just out of nowhere and uh it's it's about 15 minutes shorter than point break and you feel like they could have used those 15 minutes to actually end the film properly so yeah what i was trying to say was that via those remakes we can see why um point break has perhaps stood the test of time and uh, it's it keeps kind of resurging and uh yeah i think it's hanging in there and it doesn't get enough credit um, whether it's uh, Bigelow or not, I mean, she's at the helm, so I think we should give her a, a fair amount of credit for it. But yeah, it keeps on coming back. Mm, yeah, well, I'm interested because Patrick, you said you've, you're not really familiar with uh, with Bigelow's early work. Any of you guys um, overly familiar with her, her early work? So I'm thinking, you know, Near Dark, Strange Days, um, Blue Steel, which I tried to watch this week, and unfortunately, I just didn't have enough time. It's the one Bigelow film I've. I've not seen. Near, well, near, for near, me, I, I love Near Dark, uh, and I ranted about that on the Dust Till Dawn one because it's a big influence on Dusk, I think. Um, but her later stuff, I, I didn't really care for too much. Uh, uh, Zero Dark Thirty and uh, The Hurt Locker, uh, I think, are solid films, but I don't think they're going to be remembered in the same way that that Point Break mm. is going to be remembered. It's kind of developed a following, and those those aren't the kind of films that develop followings like this. I guess they're uh, they're, they're probably more um, weighty, and well, clearly because they were laden with Oscar nominations and Oscar wins. I yes, think, I think so. Yeah. Hurt Locker yeah. Hurt Locker was best picture. Yeah, she beat Cameron, yeah. didn't she, uh, for Avatar? Oh, that's right. Yeah, picked him. That would so, that would have been awkward. <laughs> so I, I remember uh, uh, liking Zero Dark Thirty. I haven't seen it since I saw it at the cinema. I remember liking it and thinking it's a, a pretty extraordinary kind of. Um, it's it's a really huge palette, and it's really impressively helmed and really impressively put together. It probably hasn't aged very well. I think a lot of uh, kind of War on Terror era films probably the news cycle is so fast and spins up so quickly and you find out more and more and more things and more shady background stuff that I think possibly a lot of this stuff, um, maybe that's why Matt, you were saying that they don't quite stand the test of time. Maybe they were timely in a really specific way. Yeah. They're locked into the time that they're not going to live in anyone's heart. You know, who's going to, you know, some people's favorite film is point break. I've never met a single Mm. person whose favorite film is zero dark 30. But these, like Devlin said though, and Detroit is the best of the three of the, of the new one, Catherine Bigelow films for, for me. And there is, Devlin touched upon it there. They're, they're not fun films. They're not, you know, you're something you can relax to at all. These three films that they're, they're quite serious adult themed films of, you know, the, um, human nature, uh, above all really. Whereas in Point Break, there's a human nature of Swayze and his ethos of surfing and using that as a way to kind of express himself. Um, so I think, I, I think there's something more enjoyable and easy on the eye in Point Break compared to those three that w- will make them not, uh, yeah, to, to what you're saying, Matt, that they're not kind of going to be 
people's favorite films from that aspect. You're right. It's, it's apples and oranges, isn't it? We can't really. Mm. Yeah. 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 And, and the point break near dark, strange days, they're all genre films. Whereas the, the sort yeah. of the docudrama gritty realist film that she's kind of gone into sort of telling virtually autobiographical stories. Um, granted, not Hurt Locker, but Zero Dark Thirty, Detroit. Uh, I mean, no one is going to be saying that Catherine Bigelow's best film is K-19 Widowmaker. Yeeks. Um, no. there's, there's a, there's a dull thud. Um, but one of the things that, one of the needles that you can thread through all of their films is this kind of, um, this desire for her to explore violence and masculinity. And Devlin mentioned in uh, the fly episode that we talked about that, you know, one of the hot buzzwords is toxic masculinity. And I, I, I kind of, um, I slightly reject that term only because it's just an exploration of masculinity, toxic or, or otherwise. What, in, in this film? Yes, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think. Yeah. Well, the, there's, no, um, in, I mean, it, but even it, in it, all it, of those uh... films, though, Devlin, like in all of her oh, films, yeah. like think of Hurt Locker and think about the macho testosterone that Jeremy Renner's got. He's, uh, he is, yeah. he's basically Maverick from Top Gun, but instead of flying planes, he likes to disarm bombs. It's the, do, do, you, do you think that she's put under a microscope for being a female director and we're actually reading things that perhaps aren't there sometimes? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I do. I think, uh, I think so, especially with the Jeremy Renner thing you just said there. Like in Hurt Locker, I find it a lot deeper than that because one of the things I liked about the film, I know we're trailing off from Point Breaker, sorry, but was that the, the idea that Jeremy Renner can't really function at home, you know, that's where he's at yeah. war. And at war is where he's at home. There was a really nice contradiction in that film. Mm-hmm. And th- I think there's, is a little parallel in kind of all her work in, again, that, let's say again, human nature. And here we've got Johnny Utah with, I like the conflict in this film where he's got his police work, but he's also quite attracted to this lifestyle. Um, which there may be something in which when he first meets Tyler properly and has a conversation with him saying that he's drawn to the ocean he might actually be telling some sort of truth there considering how the film plays out. Yeah. And I, I, I like that conflict in the characters that Bigelow kind of, um, and I, I believe that that's something she's really interested in, in her characters mm. in the films as well. Yeah, no. And that's what I mean. When I say that, uh, we, we, we sort of project these things because she's a female making sort of male led and male driven films. It's more that I think she understands the relationships. So in Point Break, there are just several scenes where she just nails what men hanging out with men and that competitiveness that mm-hmm. is just... And it runs throughout this entire film, whether they're playing American football, whether they're surfing, whether they're jumping out of planes. There's, there is a constant... Well, Laurie Petty acts as the voice of that, doesn't she? She kind of yeah, vocalizes yeah. what, where Bigelow stands. That's what I thought. But maybe I'm missing something, she, but it seems. She literally, um, walks out of a scene saying there's too much testosterone. Exactly. Like, it seems to me that, that she told the story she wanted to tell and didn't put too much emphasis on, on gender. But although you, you could argue that, that you can read more into it, but we talked a little bit about the female gaze and how prevalent it is in the film. Um, I feel like it's like an imitation of the male gaze. It's like she's putting herself like a method director uh, and she's kind of molding herself into what the genre expectancies were, but she kind of held back on certain misogynistic stuff, you know, and, and, Mm. and protected the females in the film. She kind of gave them stronger roles than they would otherwise have. You could argue that someone like Tony Scott would put a topless woman in the shower 
and have her beat up Keanu. But, you know, um, when she does it, we're kind of interpreting it more than maybe we should. And maybe that scene is in it no matter what. There's a weird, that, I'm glad you brought that up though, because that scene, that her character, the, the woman in the shower is a bit odd for me because she's screaming helplessly to start with. And then she batters Keanu, Johnny Utah. I think drugs might be involved from the way that, um, Kedis is, uh, tweaking on that bed. I think there's a lot of drugs going on in there. <laughs> yeah. She's having a druggy shower. I masturbating at first. <laughs> I guess, is that like, uh, that's, that's the, the, the subversion. Yeah. You, you yeah. see the kind of, you know, the, the helpless shower victor. How many times have you seen? Yeah. The outline of her, the silhouette. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it was just a screaming. Just I was like, is, yeah, if she can like, handle herself. Why is she screaming to start with? What, well, anyway, Anne, Anne Hathaway does it in Dark Knight Rises and no, yeah, everyone goes yeah. applauds it. I think Bigelow's being subtler by, like you said, she's playing to a visual reference. Can we uh, praise Bigelow a little bit more here? I've, I thought something she does really well is uh, establishing tone very early on and then maintaining it. We talk about it as one of the key things a director must do. And uh, I think she's really competent at doing it. She sets it up immediately with the um, the instructor and the firing range. Uh, as, so- as soon as that thumbs up happens and Mark, Mark Isham's music and 100% Utah, good job. As soon as that happens, we're like, I know where we are now. And and she keeps it for, consistently for two hours. So I think that's one of the coolest things she does here. When when we have the the two main characters in their in their worlds and we think that johnny utah is is happy but he's it's like the setup straight up isn't it he is after validation so the moment he gets the 100 yes. percent utah it's like <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> and uh and, and Bodie is is like at one with the ocean at that point it's 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 the start of the seduction and yeah. and you mentioned yeah. it you mentioned it devlin about john c mcginley what is the opening shot of this film proper opening <laughs> shot Goodfellas gets a lot of praise for the steady cam shot. Mm. I'm going to argue that Keanu Reeves walking through that FBI agency with John C. McGinley is equally as strong because not only is it a showy shot from a director, but it tells you everything you need to know about this world he's stepping into, which is he's not mm-hmm. one for this world. So like the fact that he's talking like, whoa. 97 percent it's like you are not you don't fit in this world this is us bank robbery and you are now in the bank robbery capital of the world 1322 last year in la county up 26 percent from the year before that's correct and we nailed over 1,000 of them miss dear take a look at that for me thank you do you know how we nail the bad guys utah do you know how we nail them by crunching data good crime scene work good lab work and most importantly good data-based analysis Special Agent Utah, are you receiving my signal? Zero distortion, sir. I love these things. <laughs> now you're a real blue flame special, aren't you, son? Young, dumb, and full of calm. I know. What I don't know is how, how you got yourself assigned out here to Los Angeles with us. I mean, how? I guess we just must have ourselves an asshole shortage, huh? Not so far. It's a great walk and talk. I think they're really hard to choreograph. And the, the one thing that I, I think takes the, the Goodfellas one a bit higher is that they go, it goes longer. And I think the lighting is more, um, interesting. Yeah, it's high. It's, it's, it's more, it's, it's more technically. And, more and it's all on one level too. in point break, but the, the, the way it glides, um, 
and uh, follows them around as as that's happening. It really gets us into that scene quickly and efficiently. And it reminded me of an ER, an ER walk and talk. They always do that, like fast moving mm-hmm. steady cam mm-hmm. with a lot of exposition uh, going on at the same time. And it's it's sort of it's sort of invisible if you're not sitting there waiting to kind of analyze it as a really long take. I think you're right mm. in that like it's the efficiency of it. Whereas of course the Goodfellas shot is there and it's supposed to draw attention to itself. Right. Kind of the point. And this one is it blends. It's, it's yeah, it's gonna just sit in the back of your brain mm. and and you can catch it and analyze it technically yeah. if you see it. If not, I mm. I doubt most people would, but they'd understand that the the it, it puts you immediately in the film in a pace. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that that kind of sets up that even though the film is quite long, it does have uh, a really impressive kind of pace to it. Again, quite consistent. Well, the remake is two hours too. The remake has a, a thirteen-minute credit sequence at the end. Uh, what? I, the credits are thirteen minutes and thirty seconds. That's outrageous. And uh, it's kind of <laughs> kind of uh, extreme sports montages because we needed more at the end of that film. I mean, we've, we've already had 17, you know, like a flying fox montage, you know, when they wear those winged suits. And yeah, then we've had. That was about, I, I didn't get much beyond that. Well, that was, I, that was real. That was one thing to its credit is that it did some stuff for real. And we'll probably talk mm. about what Swayze did for real later and stuff like that. But in the remake, they started doing real kind of, it's like GoPro, uh, kind of, uh, it has a feel to it. It just feels like Red Bull website. Yeah, promo yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It has dirt bikes and it has surfing and it has the yeah. the, the wing suits. Well, it, misses, it misses the whole point of what what you're really invested in, which is yes, you're watching in the ninety one point break people doing cool shit, but you care about these people, and if you don't mm. care about them, like you don't in the remake, I lasted thirty minutes. The, no one drew my attention like John C. McGinley, Gary, Gary Busey. Yeah. Keanu, we'll talk about him in this, but he does hold your attention. Whereas in the remake, there is not a single person on screen that I feel like I need, that I want to spend time with. I'm just like, I'm bored. I'm really, really, yeah. really, really bored. So I just, I lasted 30 minutes and I was like, this is not, this is not worth my time. Yeah, they also the, you can tell that the the filmmakers when you were talking uh, Matt you mentioned like the the um the female gaze in this film being like a, a basic straight inversion of the male gaze mm. or at least a subversion of the male gaze which is sort of true at the start which is that you know you've got uh Keanu in his t-shirt in the rain you know rolling around and firing off guns right. and stuff and then you've got Bodie and and both of them are framed like beautifully and they're uh they're in completely contrasting situations, but the camera is kind of taking them in, uh, mm. which definitely doesn't happen in the remake. Um, as far as the female gaze as well, uh, Gally mentioned off air about the the looks between them. There's one moment just before he fires his gun into the air and shouts, ah, where um, <laughs> uh, Bodhi is escaping over a fence and he looks back in his uh, ex-president Reagan mask and you can just see his eyes through it and they kind yeah. of share a moment there i don't want to say that's homoerotic i mean i think that's reading too much into it it's it's more a, a friendship uh a question of loyalty uh and, and yeah. a competitive edge but there is a moment there where you could argue that that the looks between them uh, become or, or could be read as something other than or, or heightened in some sense yeah well i mean and and, and at times it's over i think at one point bodie says you what i know you want me you oh. want me like acid in your yeah. mouth and you're like yeah, yeah but but it, but it's but it still feels like 
guys talking to each other. Mm. Um, and that's what I think Bigelow taps into. She understands relationships are very different between men and men and women. And she just seems to, in my opinion, I don't know whether she had brothers growing up, but she seems to understand the dynamics and the fact that this feels just slightly more revealing than, say, Top Gun with uh, Val Kilmer just mm. showing his teeth to Tom as they stand naked. That feels like it's a little bit too too on the nose, whereas this has got a little bit more subtlety to well, it. We, we should say that the writer is a, a guy too. It's uh, Peter Illiff. And uh, also James Cameron has involvement in this. Uh, so mm. they were married at the time, I believe. Um, not for long though. Not for long. I, I don't want to take away too much from her because I, I wrote this little thing about James Cameron. You know, I'm, I'm a bit, <laughs> you don't know which way I'm going to go with Cameron, but, uh, it, it, it's a, you're a, you're a follower of, you're a follower of JC, aren't you? It, well, if you want, if you want to hear me slag him off, listen to the LA confidential. If you want to hear me wax his car, listen to aliens. But if, uh, I don't want to take away from Bigelow at all, but it should be mentioned that he's involved. He's a co-producer on it. And I, I kind of asked my question, asked myself the question of how much he wrote exactly. Um, cause there's this thing going on with like, there's like a Kurt, um, Cobain, Courtney Love, Billy Corgan thing happening where can we give her credit? Uh, can we give Bigelow credit for everything here? Because James Cameron has involvement and, uh, there's this kind of misogynistic thing, you know, throughout the history of, of, you know, women being creative. That, that view it as her not being capable of writing these things on her own or accomplishing something on her own. I think that's just bullshit. Mm. And I think we're constantly led to believe that, that they'd be in, incapable of doing that. And I think, uh, there's a quote from Jim here from a Terminator 2 convention where he said, uh, most of the time he did a considerable amount of the writing, um, on the shooting draft, but he beefed up the action. He was really just, Instead of character stuff, he's really beefing up the action. And he said that Bigelow was a hundred percent responsible for the final film from, from the point that the script was finished because he was busy with Terminator 2. He made a few phone calls for a few reasons, but he was very busy with what he was doing. So I think we have to give credit where it's due. And, you know, she is a future Oscar winner. So, um, you know, I, I didn't want to mention Jim too much, but I, I think when you're talking about, the male perspective, a lot of it comes from the writer and some perhaps mm. uh, came from Jim. Mm, yeah. I think that the, the talent thing, Matt, is that the film, uh, the, the, the marketing team and the distributors didn't feel the need to put James Cameron presents point. Break. No, they weren't even you know credited I mean? as you know, writers, like, were they? No, no, yeah. that's what I mean. So I think that they, then that just tells you everything you need to know that Bigelow is, is, is pretty much responsible for, what we see on screen and what you like mm. and dislike about the film. So, um, yeah, that, that, and, and also look at her filmography going forward. It's, it's, but I know what you mean. There is going to be a subset of individuals that once they see James Cameron in the credits, they'll be like, Oh, that's why this is like, right. like as if it was ghost directed. Yeah. I guess yes. because there's, there's little bits and pieces, which, um, the, the one thing that they share, especially like this particular era and iteration of James Cameron is that they both share a kind of, um, a real kind of uh, um, completely unironic sincerity as to what they're doing, no matter how silly the things they're representing are. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's this film, even though it's 
it's got a bit of a, you know, you had like the stage show that they did a few years back where they would invite an audience <laughs> member on stage to be the Keanu Reeves character. It's got like a bit of a, people that have a genuine affection for the film, people are genuinely impressed with the film. People also have a slightly ironic appreciation. But one mm. thing that is, uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes when you, when you mention like a Michael Bay, I don't know if Michael Bay is, is taking the piss when he does these films, but you can tell that he's not particularly, I don't know, that, there are elements in it where you can tell that maybe nobody's taking this massively seriously. That's a good question. Cause do you think she's really going for it here? Just making a straight action film? Or do you think she can see this for being a, a slightly silly concept? And a- um, I think she's, I think she sees it's, it's silly, but has a, a sincerity of presentation mm. that she shares with a James Cameron. James Cameron is unafraid to be like very cheese. Mm. If he feels that the scene calls for it. Um, see the see the sex scene in Terminator. Yeah, exactly. Like and read the script. Get away with, with sh- <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of like shorthand that that you can that you can uh, that you can, and in some cases, to to keep up the pace of a thing, you have to put in. Um, so I, I think that there was that was maybe something that that Cameron. It's not that his films are short because they they're rarely short, but what they are good on is shorthand. Like very good shorthand. We when we watched it on Friday, one thing I Melissa found it very ridiculous mm. uh, in, in its basic form, and I it was weird watching it the second for the second time ever because I, I I I allowed the film to sweep over me quite a lot, and I think that's one of the great aspects of this film that ye, afterwards we kind of dissected it a bit and pulled it apart and it's very easy to do that after but i think the film does a great thing in not allowing you to do it during because it's pacey it's punchy and it's very entertaining and i think if bigelow doesn't do just just courage of conviction and direct it straight and go for it i think the film like this with a where a man jumps out of a plane without a parachute could, could fall apart um quite a bit but i think um that's where my praise will come matt because mm. i didn't notice any of this i'm watching a film pure entertainment film at the time and none of it bothered me um right. uh, because i think it's really well put together mm-hmm. it's really well yeah. played I, I there were times can we start talking about keanu i was just about to say i was going to lead on from what devlin said about the sincerity I think yeah. that's why she's all about getting Keanu Reeves in this role mm. because he is not only the right. Yeah, she pushed for it hard. I I don't know any of the history about who was in line for it. Johnny Depp, Matthew Broderick. Oh yeah, Matthew oh, Broderick. Oh my god. <laughs> I just I didn't hear even, about the Depp. Even Swayze auditioned for it though. Yeah. Oh, the other one was uh, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer could have done yeah. it. Johnny Depp was up. Yeah. Val Kilmer would have would have made a better, uh, not a better Bodhi than than Swayze, but he would have made for a, I think a, diff- yeah, a different Bodhi. Bodhi There's also yeah, uh, yeah, Michael Bean was up for Bodhi. Um, oh, okay. that, that's no surprise because of the Cameron connection, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Body of Evidence era Willem Dafoe was up for uh, Bodhi. <laughs> wow, I've seen him as Pappas, but not Bodhi. Yeah, he's a bit old, isn't he? Yeah, but Willem Dafoe Platoon, isn't it? He's the um, enlightened one yep. in Platoon, so maybe they were looking at, at that. Well, that's the McGinley connection too. McGinley was in Platoon. And uh, there, there was also an, an earlier incarnation of the film in 1986 that Ridley Scott was going to make, apparently. Mm. And uh, Charlie Sheen was up for yeah, the lead. That's, 
And then weirdly, that was the Matthew Broderick era. It was apparently Broderick, Broderick as Utah, Charlie Sheen as with, with Ridley Scott directing, directed and, by Ridley Scott in a film called Riders on the Storm. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. And then, and then, um, Charlie Sheen went on and made a film called No Man's Land, which had the same plot, uh, where he infilt- he's an undercover cop and he infiltrates uh, kind of a kingpin. I haven't seen it. I've only seen the trailer, but there's no surfers or anything. But 1987, which is what when his version would have come out. He ends up going off and making something very similar. So that's, that's Hollywood, I suppose. It could easily be a hotshot script though, this, couldn't it? You know what I'm like? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it can. I mean, even, even there's, there's moments where this is where I think she's playing with the genre. She knows the sandbox, uh, with which like there's, there's action tropes, there's buddy cop tropes. There's a moment when the foot chase, the amazing foot chase, which feels like, uh, it, it feels like it should be a naked gun joke where there's melons, there's, there's yeah. like, a dog, pane of yeah, glass. When he I kicks the dog. <laughs> the, I expect them to run into a, like a barrel of chickens yeah. uh, while they're running through, but it's all done in service of like the thrill. Uh, yeah. And she just, she gets it, I think. And, yeah. and you're right, it's about helming the tone so it doesn't ever feel so silly that this is yeah. just preposterous, mm. that she just toes the line between the two, and that's so difficult to do. I do think drop-kicking a dog is evidence that she knew how silly it was. Yes. That's the one... Uh, and also the um, and also having Gary Busey in the film as well. You're right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and that he does the, um, he does the, I was in this department when you were something, something, something. <laughs> yeah. He does that at least twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <at> least. <laughs> I think all these performances as well allow... Keanu Reeves to get away with being so placid as well. Placid is, yeah. a, is a very nice way of putting it. Yeah, yeah you, you, you gussy up the, the the whole, everything around him, if you put him next to these live wires, especially it's such it's a really weirdly inspired putting him with, with Gary Boosie. <laughs> Are you familiar with the director um, director's, uh, um, Rainer Maria Fassbinder, yeah. this German director in the mm. 80s? It, Keanu Reeves' performance for me belongs in one of his films because he, he was very yeah. um particular with actors just stone cold looking at, a, at the camera and delivering deadpan lines yes. um and keanu even when he grabs that donut like <laughs> I love these things. well we could be kind but what's going on like tell me your face that you love <laughs> he, it he definitely like, has on. limited acting ability but i always find him consistently watchable like i mm. i yeah, well, absolutely. I, I love. I, I Keanu. don't go in um, for the John Wick stuff necessarily, but I. Oh, uh, well, I'm just not, it's not really my thing. But I'm, uh, he's very good in them. Yeah, he he's actually. But of course, it's it's tailored for him because in in Point Break, I think the best things that he does are the loud and the angry, you know, shouty <laughs> things. What am I thinking? If you couldn't crack it with all your years of experience, it's impossible to conceive that I might have something to offer, right? Well, maybe I can do better than some over the hill burnout. Watch your mouth. Maybe you ought to just take some early retirement right now and get some rent-a-cop night security job. Tell Nam stories. Listen, you snot, those little shit. I was taking shrapnel and caisson while you were crapping in your hands and rubbing it on your face. You mad? Yeah, I'm mad. Good and mad, Dad. What do you want to do about it? Feels good, doesn't it? Like you're still alive, right? Yeah. Well, since you're still alive and you're not in the box just yet, why don't you tell me this theory of yours and we'll go get these guys? Quite like the the funness in that loud stuff, but all the quiet stuff when he's on the phone and saying, "God, why can't I say what I need to say?" 
<laughs> it's not good. It's not good. Um, during that scene that, that broke, um, Kiara, she was, uh, <laughs> it, it was interesting watching it, whether there were times when she was really like during the action sequences, she was really tense. But, uh, apparently in, in Italy, when, when somebody is doing a terrible performance, it's like, Oh my God, he's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just, she's just go, after that bit, she's like, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I fucked up, okay? I know I fucked up. I wanted to tell you, but I couldn't. I was afraid you'd leave. Good guess, huh? Fuck! Why can't I ever say what I really mean? I lied to you. I'm an asshole. But I need you, Tyler. I want you to know that I've never known anyone like you before in my life. And I hope you change your mind. That there's like a a humorous, earnest quality about Keanu that I really go in for. He's, he's got this stoner Bill and Ted thing, the woe, you know, people make fun of the woe stuff. But I think Bogus Journey was the same year as this. And oh, really? Uh, so he, he proves that is why he's got the same haircut at the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, I well, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I guessed uh, uh, from watching that uh, that they probably had shot the end at the beginning. Yeah. Me too. And then they would have cut there. And it's a weird uh, dynamic between them. I, I I always thought Patrick Swayze's response to to him being there wasn't quite right. It, yeah. it, it the, the it should be a monumental moment where he throws the mask down. Yeah. That there's really nothing to reveal it. So that made me think they shot that first with the long hair. Mm. It works. So and then there's, there's a subversion of the haircuts, which um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's clever. More yeah. disenfranchised with the FBI, hence his hair's gone longer and and it makes Wearing sense. A denim jacket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, Google, show me an image of 1990s, please. And that's it's Keanu Reeves yeah. in that denim jacket with the curtains. I feel like I need to defend Keanu a little bit. He's an action star, right? He holds our attention. Oh yeah, yeah and he yeah. absolutely is that earnest sincerity that mm. means that he is Johnny Utah. Who he has to be really dumb in this, and he is dumb in this film. The character is thick. It's it's a bit like when um Mark Wahlberg plays a bad actor. That's his best when he's at his best when Keanu plays someone who's a little bit dumb that's when he's at his best well he has that fun moment where he, I think he is referring to Bill and Ted when they're getting hair samples yeah. on the beat it's like I saved your life man close one close one so good I, I, we can be a bit more positive I think he, his work in Toy Story 4 as well is, is very good <laughs> like I'm, I'm not even kidding like he's he ends like a that he lends a special kind of flourish to that film. Oh, At the end yeah, of that exactly. film, you're, yeah. you're like, who, who was that Keanu Reeves? Like, it's the, it's the best character in the film. And what's also, the character's name? It, it's the stuntman, right? He's the stuntman. Yeah. Oh, he's got a really great name. I'm looking it up. Sorry. Uh, but also in, in real life, he's a gentleman. He's a nice guy, gentleman. You, you always see on social media, he's sitting up on a, on a train to, so a girl can sit down. He's a philanthropist. He gave his, matrix money to the effects crew um and and there's also one one of my favorite things he said was on uh, colbert when colbert asked him what happens when we die and he said uh, i know the ones who love us will miss us yeah it yeah. just shows he's, he's a thoughtful um you know kind of a zen buddhist character I, I i think he's a really nice guy my friend terry mcshane uh worked with him uh when he was doing oh, 47 ronin i think mm. and um apparently keanu just used to like invite himself around to terry's and he'd come and he'd just have a drink with him and food because he just wanted to socialize and terry says that he's the nicest 
and all the drivers on the film so he's one of the nicest men i've ever met right you know he's very he's a big big um i think he kind of only uh advocate of female directors as well Mm -hmm. he's really been pushing that in, in recent years but uh, and then he played Duke Kaboom. What great right, Duke Kaboom. <laughs> it took me a while to get there. But be, be more Keanu is kind of like a hashtag. It is, TV yeah. Because yeah. everyone is, you know, I'm, yeah, he's fantastic. Did anyone see um, uh, Destination Wedding? His uh, reunion film with Winona Ryder? No. I would say uh, that is definitely the kind of the, the challenge to anyone who thinks that he has absolutely no range. Um, he plays like a, a, a really irritating, uh, dick, like a, like a fussy kind of asshole who meets Winona Ryder on the way to a wedding and they, uh, they fall in kind of hate love with each other by just making mean comments about people all the way through a wedding. It's literally just him and Winona Ryder chatting away for 90 minutes and it's utterly charming. Did you watch Bill and Ted Face the Music? The, I haven't seen it yet, no. I've not, not seen it. Um, I went to the cinema to see that when, when they were open and I smiled the entire time. It was really nice. It was stupid, bonkers and like, ter- you know, ridiculous. But you don't care because you're having such a good time with mm. um with everyone. Did he manage to slip back into like a genuine Ted? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Then. So like, very satisfyingly so as well. And it's more about their daughters and kind of passing the beacon. It's a really nice film. Yeah, oh, I, cool. I slightly got put off because I don't like Keanu without a beard anymore because his jowls don't look right to me. It's got it's got that wattle. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's the curse of going bearded and then and then shaving it later. You, yeah, you've got to either stick with it. Yeah. Unless you go full Lucas, which is to shave underneath and then just have oh, your frog neck sticking out from under your beard. It's <laughs> the same throat. Frog neck? Look at him, Mr. Toad. <laughs> Mr. Toad is the ugliest of them. Then move on to Mr. Toad. Anyway, speaking of Mr. Toad, one of the MVPs of this film, before we get to crazy, uh, is... Nick Nolte lookalike Gary Busey. <laughs> absolutely yeah. fucking you know. That's, that's not nice on Nick Nolte. All sorts of crazy, but he's absolutely the right energy because the whole film has got this. Um, I wrote it down on my notes as like mentor, mentory. So Utah is looking for a mentor. So he, uh, the beginning with the FBI guy was like, "Good job, Utah," and then Pappas. You know, their relationship <laughs> is is forged from a mistake where he's slagging him off and then he Pappas comes to like him because he's like the joke of the department and now he's got mm-hmm. a new joke and he can kind of like there they can be outsiders together. And and their relationship's really good because Boosie, though he's playing most of it as kind of comical, every now and again he comes out with real nuggets of wisdom. And he's to have that balance and be able to do both, I thought was uh was was pretty difficult and I only found out in researching the film that like it was only a year before that he'd basically been declared dead. So it's a hell of a yeah. performance. Oh wow. Yeah. That was uh that was the, the big motorcycle accident. Yeah, it? yeah. So to come back and be in this film, because we talked about it a little bit in Predator 2, I t- I tend to think that Boosie works as like second string 
character. Yeah. Not that he can't be yeah. a main villain. He has to be like an. He's un- too intense un- for human too- beings. Yeah. You think yeah. Christopher yeah. Nolan will ever cast him in the minor? Bloody lootly. Well, I think Point Break is basically Gary, but dialed back to appear Gary. human. Yeah. <laughs> Gary, uh, hold the boozy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I watch a lot of um, I'm with Busey, so I'm, I'm I remember you used to send me like and, clips of that. You were you were very very big into the uh, I'm with Busey. If anyone hasn't seen it, it's a, a Comedy Central show where this kid Alan De, De La Pena, who's kind of like a, a, a young stand-up, I think, um, at the time he meets with his favorite actor Gary Busey, and he teaches him about life life lessons in every episode, and it's kind of an early kind of reality show. Uh, from the early 2000s, I think. But, you know, Ga- Gary is uh, an Oscar nominee, uh, for the, the Buddy Holly story. You, you've got Big Wednesday, which is referencing surfers, which is maybe one of the reasons he was thrown into the hat for this one. Um, Gally, you mentioned the, his accident that causes him to speak and act impulsively. Apparently that's one of the results of the accident. Uh, there's a story where he once snorted cocaine off his dog. That was before he went to rehab. Uh, he was in the dog fur and, uh, he's made several appearances. Like he's really good in fear and loathing where he plays a, a, a lonely cop who pulls over. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, he pulls over Hunter S. Thompson and asks him for a, for a kiss and he says, excellent seafood, which is another favorite <laughs> uh, Gary Busey quotes. Um, but I'm, I'm quite an authority on his later career. He did Celebrity Big Brother and he did, uh, The U.S. Apprentice where he, um, Meatloaf almost killed him. You can see that on, on YouTube. Uh, and, uh, that show I'm with, I'm with Busey. So any, any Gary Busey fans, check out I'm with Busey on uh, YouTube. I'm pretty sure you sent me this video where he's just sitting down on a bench talking about hobbits, little, little guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, all, <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff where he, he eats shrimp and, and he, he says, it's important that you leave some on your face so that the shrimps know that you're proud of them. <laughs> this is insane quotes there's too many to mention but big, big brother was a great one he, he used to take his clothes off on, on big brother and uh there was a, a woman there was a woman from benefit street and she got really mad at Gary <laughs> taking his trousers down in front of everyone and th- this guy uh ricky from geordie shaw was there he was battling the, the, the dancer from uh strictly and that little fella from Will and Grace, uh, he had a he had a big battle with him as well. And the the, the singer from Bewitched also faced Gary's wrath. So if you want to watch any of that, YouTube. Just keep going, please. But one of the one of the things as well about what's great about casting someone like Gary Booty in the film is that clearly Bigelow is is positioning the FBI as literally a bunch of morons you've got john c mcginley who's this uptight arsehole you've got the the rival cops which is classic buddy cop formula who were uh, sort of laugh and joke and snigger but can't do anything either uh, and then you've got gary boosie's pappas who thinks that being undercover is putting on a hawaiian shirt and going, <laughs> <laughs> when, he, when, yeah. when they're doing the police raid and he's like scooby Anyone see my dog Scooby? And you're like, There's no dog in the world called Scooby for real. And it's, it's just great because it totally undercuts their authority and the the whole police raid uh, bungled because of a because of a lawnmower. Yeah, because of a lawnmower, and you just like, yeah. FBI gorgeous. 
just so Why is that, that woman go opening the door in her underwear? I, I always thought it was ridiculous. Uh, again, th- this is Bigelow at the helm and she's doing that. Yeah, so. I, I, I know, I know. It's strange. But she does it and Pappas' reaction is, oh, ho! Oh. Um, and- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's worth it for that. Little dog, little dog in your backyard. Like (laughs) one thing that I guess the escalation of that sequence, which is a great sequence, Mm -hmm. uh, is that they are very, very ready to murder him with a large amount of uh, weapons before they even know that he's a cop. It's only later when it's like, oh, there's another guy around the side, but they were already Mm -hmm. getting the guns out. It's sudden, isn't it? Because I say, there's a man at the door. Quick, get up and. And then Matt, you like the, uh, the Anthony Key that's blown his foot off. I, I did. That gets a reaction from everyone I watch it with. It gets cringes and shouts and it's just really well done. I mean, he's, he's dreadful in it. I mean, he's just, and he's playing a tweaker. So he's, he's over the top. Uh, that would, <laughs> that would be a waste of time. You know, that line when it, when they're about to beat him up. Um, but yeah, that, that shot of the foot exploding is, is very well done about the escalation and one of the things that i always use when i'm watching these films for the podcast is is danielle as a bit of a barometer for whether a film's working or not and she was grabbing my leg during the keanu war child who devlin check that's the guy from cyborg right that he fights oh god it certainly looks like him looks like him i think it's him but war child when they're fighting over that lawnmower danielle was grabbing me and she's seen this film several times she was like, fucking hell, fucking hell. Like, yeah. it looks <laughs> real. And, and Bigelow puts the camera right in their faces. And it is tense. How, so- how was that done? Is it a long lens to kind of get, make it look like he's closer? Patrick, would, would you get away with trying that? I think this for perspective, yeah. There's a there's a really cool shot in, um, for those of you who know, Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, Guy Ritchie film, where there's a, a meat uh, saw like grinder yeah. that's like, uh, ripping open pigs and they they get very close to that as well and it's kind of done the same way so it's i mean this one is quite very close proximity it's i i'd have thought it was kind of some sort of forced perspective it's, it's the angle there. because he's kind of uh but he looks very close, close. it might yeah. just be like close with a rope on him oh we said earlier like one false move and you've killed keanu there that's a really really dodgy one or at least he loses his face. Well, you know who we should talk about? Somebody that probably deserves more of our time and been in more films, but she, well, we talked about her in Demolition Man because she had zero chemistry with, with Stallone because he didn't want to do the hunker chunker. Uh, <laughs> old Laurie Petty, which definitely, I think if Catherine Bigelow isn't directing this film, she is not getting cast. You know, what mm-hmm. were you, a year removed from the, uh, the pilot of Baywatch, you know, this film would normally have a big titted blonde. And the fact that we have petite, demure, <laughs> pixie, uh, Laurie Petty as the sort of quasi loving. We've got the big titty blonde in the shower. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, but no, she's, she's really wonderful in this. I, 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 I genuinely fall in love with her like Johnny Utah should have until he sees Bodie. I think when she's changing there, when she's getting changed, that's the moment. Um, that's that you kind of fall in love with her a little bit. I think she's got um the resistance and the attitude that that's kind of appealing to women too. I think she's not an easy girl. You know, she there's really some uh resistance when Keanu is wanting to learn how to surf and she's pushing back. But yeah, there's there's that very feminine moment where she it's not very feminine, but you know, you, you kind of fancy her in that moment where she's getting changed and she jumps into a jeep and and drives away. That's a really cool 
cool moment for her. But it, th- that stuff does feel like it's directed by a woman, I think. Uh, I, and I, the and the next scene as well, Matt, when she's saying, "What are you doing here?" and yeah, uh, the, the storytelling between them, she like Laurie's. I, I like um, how she's kind of breaking down. Are you still here? Or all that, that conversation. Stuff? Yeah. What do you want? Shrimp and fries. I mean, what do you want? Why do you keep hanging around here? I need you to teach me. Give me a break. Uh, shrimp and fries. Go. Do you like something to drink with that, sir? I'm serious. I can see that you're serious. Forget it. Stick to tennis. I don't know. Whatever you do, good. Uh, miniature golf. Number's thirty-seven. You don't understand. I'm gonna learn to surf or break my neck. What is it? You all of a sudden got this bug that you just have to go surfing? This is a line, right? No. No. Yeah, and she's got the deepest of blue eyes in that scene when uh, when he's just trying to get some shrimp and fries. Uh, yeah, yeah. shrimp. <laughs> you got the shrimp for Gary. <laughs> You're proud of him. <laughs> but she she is she's physically strong. It's the James James Cameron stuff again, isn't it? It's like uh, she's more con more conventionally attractive than uh, dare I say you know Sigourney or Linda Hamilton, but. You know, she, she's attractive enough to play that role and she's also physically strong enough to make all the surf stuff believable, even though apparently she'd never been in the water before starting mm-hmm. filming. Right. Well, yeah. And she, she swoops down like a, like a guardian angel and saves him. That's her, that's our mm. introduction with this mm. sort of tranquil, it's almost like Blade Runner music going on in the background as she dives down and saves oh, him. And then, the, there's and a dreadful then, version in the remake where the, the girl in the remake, uh, there's none of that at all. There's no pushback. She's yeah. just uh, a kind of a, a, a beautiful kind of Instagram looking model. And, uh, she, she comes down and saves him, swoops down and saves him, but there's no resistance at all. They end up kind of just kissing and swimming mm-hmm. together almost within minutes of meeting. So yeah, they, again, they jump off a, off like a, a yacht and then they grab a rock, right? Yeah. She's kind of an, she's an extreme sports enthusiast, I guess. That kind of has a similarity to it, but there's really nothing like what Laurie Petty brings to it. And, and again, Matt, that that's because of the direction and the writing. It's giving this character more than 2015. You know, she's a woman in a macho it. world, right? She she's kind yeah. of you feel like she's the device to talk about this macho stuff, and she's present so that it can be addressed. Uh, we talked earlier about her testosterone quote. And like, I'm very satisfied with her like, edginess. I kind of buy her relationship with Keanu and I think her addition is a really necessary part of why Point Break works. Yeah. It's quite pointed as well that she's the only girl in that circle as well. You mm. know? Yeah. Uh, usually you'd, it makes her stand out. Which well, she, she had a good three years as well. It was Point Break, A League of Their Own and Free Willy, which were all hits, I think. Before ta- uh, Tank Girl. Yeah, before Tank Girl in 95. And then she kind of dropped off the map a bit. Yeah, I think Tank Girl was a, a, a pretty much a, a bit of a flop, wasn't it? And they'd obviously yeah. had a lot of hype for it, but it didn't, it didn't work for whatever reason. Well, actually, I do know the reason I watched it and it, it gave me a headache, but she's, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do think it got probably more shit than it deserved. I think it was kind of, um, I think it was dragged a little bit more heavily than, than, than maybe it deserved really. But I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what happened, whatever. Ever happened to her? She's, she's still on. She did some TV. I think there's some Prison Break, which I've never seen, and some ER, which 
you know, mm. they're, they're big she, enough shows. But she ended up on uh, Orange Is the New Black, and I think um, uh-huh. that was probably a, a, a fitting and uh, and worthy place for her to 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 do some good work. Um, I think it is just it was a bit unforgiving in that landscape, wasn't it? I think uh, you know a, a flop or two, especially a high profile one, could be enough to derail you in the nineties because there was there really wasn't that much you know there weren't that many productions going ahead so uh you get you get your shot and if you fumble it that especially you know we've we've kind of talked around the idea of like how uh gender can be really unfortunate in in the film industry but it is kind of unfair that you know uh, actresses tend to just age out of- yeah exactly mm-hmm. i mean look, you could just you just follow keanu reeves's career Bram Stoker's Dracula, he is absolutely god awful. Yet he's he's in speed and he gets yeah. a chance to his career. And then yeah. well, Virginia Manson and Candyman. Yeah, we, we wondered yeah. where she went as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, it's a it's it's a horrible thing to say, but it's almost like yeah, you get to a certain age and it's like they, they just they they, they they always use that kind of really blanket. It's it's like the the passive voice that they say. It's like oh, there are no roles for you. And it's like well, that's because you fuckers aren't making any. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, the people decide that, you know, that the stories of women post 30, but not as the mum of another character, are just not worth yeah. telling. Yeah, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that you have to wait for another remake of Little Women to get four women <laughs> yeah. on screen. But mm-hmm. it's true, right? I mean, that's, it's horrible to say, but that certainly in this era, uh, I think you're absolutely right, Devlin. But she's great in this. She brings a real different energy. And a different vibe. She she slightly gets sidelined near the end, but I think that's yeah. kind of the point. What I like is she's the kind of voice of how of the the seduction process as well in here. You know, she's talking about Bodhi uh being different and he'll get something like he'll get you, man, or he does that to you, something like he'll that. He'll take you to the extreme. Which is exactly what we see kind of happening to um Johnny Utah. Yeah, and she's talking we, from experience, but she's managed yeah. to, she's managed to distance herself from Bodhi, even though I don't think she realizes how much of a monster he is. I also think that the the relationship works because they they both suffered tragedy. I know he lies about his parents, but he's he was supposed to be a football player and and he he's had that kind of personal tragedy and they're both drawn to this group where Bodhi is. And they're both kind of looking at him as a mentor. I mean, I, I assume that, that her and Bodhi have been together in the past. Well, we don't, we don't see it. Time, they've shared time. Yeah. Exactly. She was his, <laughs> what he says, which is just brilliantly just <laughs> where he says in the house as well, what's mine is yours. Right. Yeah, He's yeah. kind of referring to her at that point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all, all my cards are on the table here, but is there a better looking man? Bodhi, he's fucking he's so fucking lean in this film like, like bruce lee lean mm. and i i what i love about swayze he's come roadhouse nearly destroyed his career mm. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know he, his physicality and him wanting to do his own stunts i think came from roadhouse and it really pays off in this film i, I think it's the best thing he's done i, I think he, he's it's um it's you know he's 38 when he does it, it. oh really yeah, he was a bit older. He's 38 when he does it. Look yeah. at him. Yeah. I think um, uh, it's really difficult to play enigmatic because it just comes off as being aloof or a dick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or like the the, the remake Bodhi is one <laughs> of those things. He's a complete blank. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're going to be the Zen character, you can't really be too active because that's not 
the the the, the character, right? Like you have to be, you right. know, to just be surrendering to whatever. But there's a, uh, it's it's true. He is really like just magnetic. That there's a moment the, where he's like very George Harrison about um, uh, Keanu Reeves stealing his girlfriend. You know, he's he's basically you know the whole George Harrison Eric Clapton thing. It's like you know. I, no attachments. You want my wife? Fine. If she wants to go with you, take her. You know, it's very Zen Buddhist. Um, and I, I've got a, a few favorite moments with, with him. He, me and Gally talked briefly about how kind of intense he is in this. And I've never seen him quite so intense. Uh, there's the, the, the nobody fucking move stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can, he can play a maniac, no problem, but it, he didn't really, um, hone that and he didn't really do much of that after point break. And it's kind of a shame. It is, it is disappointing because in this, he, if you look at the Bodhi character and Devlin's touched upon it, uh, really well there, he's, he's got to seduce us as well as Johnny Utah. And we need to believe mm. that seduction, but he also needs to have that edge where his turn to villainy needs to be almost like a betrayal to the character and also to us. So I st- I buy into his bullshit at the beginning, but there are hints to it, to a, a sort of darker side. That competitive edge, when they're playing the, the game of American football, he yeah. fucking nails Johnny Utah because he might talk about everything, you know, it's all part it's all part and parcel, what's yours is mine. But when Johnny Utah bests him with a throw, he's like, I'm fucking getting you. There's no way I'm being one-upped by you. And there's yeah. loads of that... It, it, it gets revealed that I had um you know, there's a fight club element to this whereby, you know, there's a anti-establishment, you know, rally against the system. And he has this speech, which is great about metal coffins. And this is what we do it for. Yeah. It's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. You don't do it for any of that. You do it because you are avoiding responsibility. And he does it with uh, the Rosie character when he's like, sorry, Johnny, you know, he's just a, he's a mechanism. It's like, you're the one that set him in that motion, but he tries yeah. to absolve himself of all the responsibility of his own actions. And it's great. And uh, I, I did, I didn't watch the original, uh, the remake, but one of the things I did read is that they tried to turn the Bodie character into a Robin Hood type. And it's completely yeah. the wrong thing to do. The idea is that his philosophy is based on bullshit. That's the whole point. Yeah, the money in the remake is kind of dropped from the heavens onto a poor Mexican community and they all just scrabble around to get the money. And it's really not about that. It's about, you know, the rush and uh, kind of restoring some kind of a balance. But it, it's interesting in the original that he's introduced by Tyler as a modern savage, a real searcher, which don't go together at all. He's a, it's a dichotomy really, isn't it? It's like, he's, I don't believe his, his bullshit either galley i'm the same and also one thing i didn't like is that when they go to the vault there's no motivation for him going to the vault i needed some reason why he needed that extra cash or oh, no, uh, I, oh, it Matt, was the last it's the last, last one yeah that's what that's what i took it as it's like he knows yeah. he can never rob a bank again so he needs all the money he can get that's what i took it as because he's already chartered the flight south so he just needs so he's not going to rob another bank. This is his final one. So he goes to the vault. But why, why doesn't he tell he the rest needs, of the crew? He needs to get to Australia. He needs to get to Australia. Why don't the rest of the crew go with him to the vault? Because it's the rush, isn't it? It's a rush. It is the rush. And it's also, you know, I think they say, doesn't um, Utah say found Rosie, lost a knife fight. Bodie's plan probably would have been to kill the rest of them anyway. Like they are. Oh, make off he, with the cash. Yeah. He's a cult leader and he's completely right. bought into his bullshit. But once he's, yeah. once he's disposed of them, once they's he's got no more use. He moves mm. on. That's probably what happened with Tyler. 
And he sees in Johnny Utah somebody that he can completely manipulate, which is exactly why when the mask gets thrown at the end, he doesn't react because he's like, it's all right, I've got this guy. And it's the only when he's when he's um, gets handcuffed that he's like actually reveals desperation, like, come on, let me. Well, I read it more as a loss of control, like he's trying to teach Utah a lesson in that moment where he's he's going to the vault to really kind of stick it in, you know. Mm. But um, yeah, that, that's interesting that he needs the money because it's his final one. I guess that's that's yeah, okay. yeah. And they and they can't, uh, you know. It's again, it's one of the things. It's the uh, Richard Kelly and Donnie Darko. I think must have watched Point Break and gone. Patrick Swayze is perfect for the character in Donnie Darko, who espouses all the answers, and it's based on bullshit, and he's really a kitty fiddler. Um, and that's what I that's what I took it as. And it's just a shame that Swayze never tapped into this again really until Donnie Darko because I remember you guys ever watched Black Dog with Meatloaf and Patrick Swayze uh, I'd, I'd never heard of it I was actually just looking up his filmography just to see um, what he did after this and it was a, a shame that it didn't really seem like it went any. there wasn't really another kind of peak right I mean Donnie Darko he was very good in and it's a very good well, film but I mean Roadhouse is his Everest yeah, that's only one way to go from there. Actually, another good, great film he's in is Ghost. And yeah. funnily enough, he was doing press for Ghost in Europe, which meant he couldn't film the foot chase scene. It's all his stuntman. Oh, really? Oh, See, to me, he looks so much older in Ghost than, than, yeah. than he does in, in Point Break. But I, it's the same year, so I guess... But for me, this is his best film. For me, this is the peak for for Swayze but Gally uh, just something that I, and I know you love this kind of thing so I, this is why I wrote it down because I was like Gally's going to love this um, Bodhi uh, as a translation means to awaken or enlighten <laughs> an awakening um, but I, yeah, we've, we've discussed about meanings and names before but um, something you just said there I, I couldn't get well, one of the problems I had with the film was, and that's why I wanted to watch it again this morning just to try and get into it a bit more uh, for my second viewing for this. I, I get why Utah is kind of attracted to Bodhi and that lifestyle and that kind of carefree thing. It, you know, it's, it is an awakening for him in a way. And that's why we've seen him throw the police badge away at the, at the end. I couldn't quite get to grab, uh, get a grasp on how quickly a bond between them formed without having really done much together and trying to figure out why Bodie wouldn't allow like his teammate to shoot at Utah during the bank heist and why he kind of may have where this bond has kind of come mm, so strong yeah. between them. Well, this is where I think Bigelow is looking at male relationships, because actually, if you break down Pappas and Utah and Bodie and Utah, Pappas will fight, will literally die for Johnny Utah, even though he barely knows him. And Johnny Utah has been wrong about everything but Pappas will blindly follow him. And I think there's there's something going on there with with that parallel because Utah's the same with Bodhi. Bodhi can't kill him. He smacks him in the face. He's already killed a cop in the bank, but he doesn't right, kill yeah. him. And then at the end, when he when he jumps out of the plane, why chuck the gun? It's like a it's like he's goading him, like, well, come in, come on. It's part of the mm. chase, isn't it? So mm. I think if you wanted to go into deep meanings as to the motivation between Utah, he's just a searcher and they write it off as that and like I said, if Bodhi was an attractive blonde, that scene when he's walking away with uh, Tyler after their first surf and they've they've kind of their relationship starting to blossom, that's the moment when it's like, oh wait a minute, there's another woman in my life. But it just so happens to be a tall blonde male who looks incredible 
and he's just in love with him from that moment. Doesn't he say, do you not know who he is? He's Johnny Utah two years ago. Rose yeah, Bowl yeah. And then something. it's like, well, I mean, all of that is like nonsense. Like, how would he know that? But, but the fact yeah. is that they, it's kind of short, it's proper shorthand to get us to where we need to be, which is why this film, I think, is above parody, which is why in Hot Fuzz, I think Edgar Wright is just simply saying Point Break is a fucking great film. Mm. He's not taking the piss out of it. He's just like that moment when Utah's got him in his sights and he shoots in the air. It's just like, ah! Ever fired you gun in the air and gone, ah? (laughs) They were going to have a female uh, love interest for Nicholas Angel in that movie, and then they realised that it was the Danny Butterman Mm. character. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I don't know, again, that homoeroticism, I didn't really see too much of in in Point Break, but it's part of the the subgenre, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't think it's a, don't think it needs to be like sexual. It's just a, it's a, we would call it now a brother. No, what I'm kind of saying is, Gally, uh, my point is, it, it's very sudden to believe that there's a bond between them. You didn't even think in a non-homo love at first sight. Time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that it, like Swayze uh, just Bodhi just appears out of nowhere to help him at the shower, mm-hmm. and that's very convenient. But mm-hmm. they're com- they play American football, which is a mutual respect thing. I get that. But an actual bond between them that would uh, mean that Keanu does not shoot at him. You know, if he's going to track him down to Australia, why doesn't he shoot him in the leg there and end the chase? And mm-hmm. for, for Bodhi, I, I, I don't think that was created well enough. I don't know what, what's neat. Another scene that they bond in the way that Tyler and he try to do, you know, when he, he, he um, spins the yarn stories. Mm, yeah. Maybe something a little bit more there. But it's all, I suppose then this is Bigelow's idea and, and visuals here that there's a kind of bond created through the sense of adventure and action there, taking him and the waves and midnight. And I, I get that side of things as well. I think he's looking for a place to belong to. The FBI haven't quite claimed him at this point. They're calling him a blue flamer okay. quantico cat. And, uh, you know, he's looking for another place to belong. Like Busey, mm. like as daft as he is in one of the behind the scenes, he sums up Point Break by saying it's not about adrenaline junkies. It's about one man's or one young man's search to find out where he belongs and what he mm. what he ultimately is. And you know that that's that's pretty close a reading to to how I would yeah. like to, would like to take it. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, agree. I, suppose, I suppose when he's in the FBI as well, Matt, and he says, "I caught my first tube today." <laughs> um, <laughs> I suppose, I suppose that kind of strengthens that, doesn't it? Because well, he's bringing the life that he likes inside to his work to try and change the atmosphere. He's always responding to C. McGinley with a, with a retort, <laughs> a witty retort. The donut, that. It's like he's not, he's not able to, he doesn't fit in in the FBI. That's the whole point why he's walking around an office with a fucking huge surfboard and everyone else is in a, well, a shirt and tie. What did you say Bodhi meant again, Patrick? Awakening, enlightening. Well, I, th- um, I think instead of his own awakening and enlightening, it's Johnny Utah's awakening and enlightening. Oh, that, that's how I read it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and like, he seems more comfortable with that group at times. And, you know, you can see it at the end where he kind of discards his badge. But yeah, I, I think he's looking for somewhere to belong and, and he maybe, maybe finds it closer to that group. I, I do, I do get Utah getting into that more than Bodhi liking Utah. That, that's kind of where I'm trying to. Oh, I see. Fig- figure yeah, out yeah, okay. more. So maybe, you don't see where the, where the fixation kind of is reciprocated. Yeah. It's a good yeah. point. I, I think, yeah, maybe they are kind of the, the, you know, the skydiving scene, I think is the one that cements it. For, for Utah, certainly. Um, it, possibly also for, uh, um, 
uh, uh, Swayze. But what I think is odd about that is that it's positioned after all of this has already happened. So yeah, <laughs> why would he allow himself to put on? It's it's it is weird that 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 there's not the one scene like that. I yeah, I get. It. Maybe the, the, Bodhi the, knows um, that he's a he's a cop uh, from earlier. Yeah. And the, the whole thing is just an adrenaline thing. It, it's a uh, getting as close as he can to the edge. He's keeping a cop like right near them, but he also trusts yeah. the fact that Utah won't turn them in because he thinks Utah belongs with them. He belongs in in the adrenaline. Yeah, maybe it's like a challenge to 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 break this this guy's kind of barriers down and to and to transform him like he's a project. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think okay. in a friendship I, 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 I way, that's this. what a good friend yeah. would do. Yeah. 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 And he's he's it's a test, isn't it? The fact that when Utah with his knee blown out and everyone knows who everyone is, but they haven't re- revealed that they know um they haven't had that discussion like men do, which is we don't talk about these things. Uh th- but instead they do it through action, which is he's willing to jump out of a plane knowing that probably one of those packs it's been built for him to just drop dead. And the fact that he was willing to do that is kind of like you have passed the test. You have been ordained as a, as a Bodhiism. Come so why doesn't Bodhi allow him to be shot after the court at the heist? Oh, they love each other at this point, don't they? It's, we, we were, what, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Does Bodhi, does Bodhi love it? I think Bodhi's invested think in so. him somehow. He's invested in this potential. Of him to not be a cop and become one of, not one of them necessarily, but oh, okay. become, okay. become his own kind of a guy. But yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. There's, there's some, there's some contradictions in there. Patrick, don't get me wrong. If you start picking, this is not, this is, <laughs> this not, is what I said though, yeah, isn't it? This yeah. is not high. I did this yeah. after the film. Yeah. It's not high art to the point where everything has a, a clean answer. But as far as just the themes that Bigelow is, is sort of playing around with, especially with the dynamics of male relationships, I think that is the point is that we have just like in Fight Club, a seduction going on between a character that is enigmatic that we want to, you know, we want to love and we do love. And then it all starts to crumble down at the end because we re- reveal that actually it's based on nonsense. And that's kind of. Well, well, the nonsense for me as well. I had to like just, okay, I'm just going to let this wash over me like the shower that Keanu, that Utah was standing in. Is when they all surround him, like we're just gonna kick you, fuck you up. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What is going? If I was in that situation, like, is this real life? Why are surfers trying to fuck me up? All I did was try and surf. Deep, you know, like, deeply territorial, though, aren't they? What an awful thing. <laughs> That's unrealistic. Yeah, but they're not oh. nice guys, are they? They're no, they're uh, all like. Neo- it doesn't mean they need to hurt someone. Just he's having a shower and he's going home. Neo Nazis, aren't they? I think he says they they only live to get radical, which is why they just want to beat the shit out of him. You talked about Edgar Wright there, and there's an excellent uh, kind of secret bonus Blu-ray commentary with Edgar and Quentin Tarantino on the Hot Fuzz disc, uh, and they talk about so many different obscure films over the course of two hours it's one of the best commentaries i've heard it's on youtube and uh they talk about the foot chase they really break that one down they talk about the best foot chases in in film history and uh i think uh narc gets a, an honorable mention you know remember Narc? oh yeah yeah jason is that ray liotta yeah. and uh what's yeah. his name jason patrick jason patrick there's a great one with jason patrick yeah we need to add him devlin to the breck and meyer list actually <laughs> he's another one <laughs> speed yeah, two that's true. He, he man- yeah he managed to escape unscathed fucking hell he's terrible in speed two mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah we need keanu back no you're right about the foot chase i think it's just uh I, I i read something from one of the 
uh, one of the producers who was like, Catherine was able to turn a foot chase into something that was far more exciting than any car chase ever yeah. committed to celluloid. And you're like, it's true. It's, it's amazing. And, and you really are like thrust into the action. It's amazing. The, the crew shot it with this pogo cam, which is a rig that has like a stabilizer, uh, but it's a body length pole. Um, so the cameraman's running alongside, but, um, you can put it high or low, just like a, a normal steady cam, but it has kind of a more of a, a jiggly kind of energy to it. Um, and, and also I love that scene, you know, because it, it's the, we said it before, it's the evidence that, um, Bigelow is, is, uh, controlling the tone of, of that and that amount of silliness without going too far mm. is, is ex- exactly why she was the right person to, to make this. Mm. What, what I love about it as well is usually in, in Hollywood, you'd have a, a chase, a foot chase would precede a car chase. You know, they'd run to the car and then cut, drive off. Yeah, and it's I love reversed, it. cars. It? Yeah, I, I quite like that dynamic. And there's some, that scenery, like the imagery of Reagan setting the gas station on fire and, and yeah. the car, I think that slow mo, there's some, this is where we're kind of virtuoso cinematography and, and um, vision and editing here, because this is a really extraordinarily put together sequence. Mm, yeah. Mm. Well, we haven't even really talked about the, the ex-president's look, but it's iconic, isn't it? Like everyone, yeah. you might not have even seen point break ever, but I think Reagan setting that uh, car alight uh, with the shot and the slow-mo and just that opening bank heist. I think it's just, it's so, it's so iconic, I think. People just recognize, oh, this is Point Break, or they're the ex-presidents. And I mean, just- that image of, of him setting fire to, you know, using the gasoline to set fire, and he's wearing the Reagan mask, is, I'm sure there's something all political in there somewhere. I'm not <laughs> yeah, entirely yeah. sure. What, but it's, <laughs> it's obviously, like, representative of taking money from the working stiffs. But they, um, they said, I think um, Bodie says it, that does it something along the lines of, we, we've allowed... So there's a commentary on the president's there, like saying, we've taken your money for so many years, just going to take a bit more. Yeah, we've been like screwing yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. you for years, a few more seconds. Screw it, thank you. Uh, make, that, that's where some sense. of the Bodhi stuff makes more sense than, than it kind of, mm-hmm. at the end of the film, you, you kind of, I'm with you, Gally, it doesn't really make total sense, but I do like the Metal Coffin speech, although it is kind of bullshit within, within what he's saying and how the character changes. In the moment, it's very kind of powerful and persuasive, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And and even when even you think about, you know, Patrick, you were saying about uh, Tyler being the only woman in the circle. But you notice like this is all part of us being seduced by Bodie, that the way that Bigelow frames Bodie in the campfire when he's talking about the ultimate ride and he's talking about the 50 mm. year storm. He's just got a woman just oh, yeah. just massaging yeah. his shoulders, <laughs> while he's stringing a guitar. She- yeah, but is he, is she the one who he was sucking on her? Yeah, um, sucking on her line. necklace. Yeah. Oh, the candy necklace. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. I have one so, more, uh, president's, uh, trivia. Um, the pre, the ex-presidents are killed in the movie in the order that they were served, that they served in office. Ah. So, so that's a pretty cool. That'll keep the, the Twitter verse alive. For yeah, that's for you, trivia. Yeah. People. <laughs> um, but no, I, I just, I love that because she doesn't say a thing. She's literally focused on him and we are focused on him as well. And it's just like, well, there you go. That's how you frame a character that, you know, you're going to seduce us. And your balls are this. (laughs) (laughs) You you can't just paddle out, you know, just going out there. It's just total commitment. (laughs) (laughs) But But also, I suppose there as well, just to strengthen 
Laura Petty's character. It's when he says, "Better than sex," well, you must be doing it wrong. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a cool. Um, she undermines for her. To, yeah. yeah, yeah. What about you, Dabs? You got any 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 other great scenes? Um, I don't know about great scenes. One thing that just stuck out while I was watching it, really kind of briefly, um, in the uh, in the in the get mad, you're gonna get mad sequence. Um, just a, a a little, if we're gonna uh, to use Matt's parlance, wax up uh, Catherine Bigelow's car a little more. Um, the the, uh, the 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 location of it is incredible. Considering it's just a scene where they're looking at a car, it's, it's, you know, dead of night and you've just got LA sprawling, just this huge endless sea of like street lights behind them. And the depth to it is incredible. And it's, it's one of those little decisions that you just, you only notice it, uh, uh, really subtly, but you only notice it because it's the sort of thing that's missing in other films where people don't have the kind of the, the, the eye, the, the visualization or the visual, um, imagination to come up with something like that just why wouldn't you frame that somewhere you know on this kind of highway overlooking the city with this incredible dra- uh, backdrop behind you mm, yeah Whereas, i'm sure there'd be plenty of directors who would just put that in some miserable lay-by yeah well even when uh utah goes to papa's dev after he's, he's seen uh, one of the surfers flashing and he he says i think it's these guys here it's Brody. yeah that that's really well lit with a real nice depth that's not flat or anything. Yeah. You kind of you get that they're covert there and trying to hide away, but meeting out in public. So that I, I was kind of taken with how that scene was staged. God, well. Patrick, you've just reminded me of another great Utahism. Just when he looks, yeah. just when he looks, and it's almost like Bigelow is saying that Utah needs the flashback. They're ghosts, kid. It's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, def- it's definitely them. Like, it's, and, and that's what I love about the film is the film doesn't try and be cute with us, the audience. It's like, yeah, it's definitely Patrick Swayze. There's no hiding the fact that it's Swayze and his gang. And the film doesn't try and play like, you know, is it, isn't, is it them? Is it not them? It's like, no, Utah is the only person who does not recognize that the people that he's been hanging out with yeah. are yeah. definitely yeah. the ex-presidents. And it only just comes to him and it's like, they're surfing on the waves. They're surfing on the money. He's got his ass out. <laughs> he's yeah. got his ass out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think Pappas has a line, doesn't he? Like, they're rubbing it in our face, kid. Look at this. <laughs> well, his ass. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> this is 91. We're coming out of like the juiced up action stars and Keanu is about to start this like shift in these new, in this new breed of action stars, which is vulnerable, dumb. Uh, they are, they are not like just shooting machines that kill everyone and get the girl. It's just, I think it's, it's really, you know, in the landscape of action films, this is, this is this and speed. They are the two, probably you would suggest, wouldn't you? Mm. Kind of change the dynamic. Maybe more so this one, especially because like speed is, uh, is, is possibly more kind of like machine tooled to yeah, be. Yeah, it's a, more proficient. A, like it? a thrill. It's also as a film, it's like a machine tooled thrill machine. It's like it's perpetual motion. You're on the bus, the bus can't slow down and then you're on the train and there's, uh, it, it works. It kind of anchors because of the chemistry between him and Sandra Bullock, whereas this kind of, uh, this takes more time out with mm. the with the characters and with this kind of slightly slightly bullshitty but not in a bad way ethereal kind of um zen atmosphere around it which you know it, it should really come off as like early 90s la 
airhead garbage, but somehow it sort of transcends that. Oh God, you've just mentioned airheads. Great film. Like, like the guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. I went straight to the guys on Cliffhanger. Who? Who? Uh... Oh God, they are not in Cliffhanger yes. if it wasn't for Point Break. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Gabe, we're going to do the big word today. It's like you're in Alaska <laughs> or somewhere. Yeah. You're not in LA. You're not in LA. <laughs> I've just been revisited by the image of um, Kurt Russell surfing as well. Is that an escape from New York or LA? Oh, LA, LA, LA. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Get your cities right. right. <laughs> Very different film experiences, those two. <laughs> John McClane surfs on a truck in Die Hard 3, so that's very similar. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, and then and Pierce then starts surfing in Die Another Day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Or, or, or more realistic than the remake, though, right? Mm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How weird is it, though? You know, uh, there's that... You're talking of macho stuff that's in this film. Some of the script things are so wild and strange. When um Pathis pops himself up on the table when they're talking about the surfing theory and they both go, Yeah And then when they, <laughs> they high five each other at some point as well. It's so yeah. Well, I mean, I think Matt Matt messaged me before we were recorded and just said, This is comfortably the most quotable film we've yeah, done yeah. apart from aliens uh, yeah. or aside from aliens. And it really is like the script is uh, it, it. Well, it is what it is. Um, but the dialogue is just so much fun. And and it's, it's, it's difficult, right? It's difficult to get a film that's populated with mm. absolutely shed loads of just great one liners and retorts. And you have to, like you say, you need a director to be able to balance it in order to not be so goofy. But it, yeah. it all kind of plays into, like I said, this idea of a, a shift in, in action stars because vulnerability starts to come into play. I mean, Keanu doesn't win a single fight in this. If you watch, if you watch the film, he loses every fight. Well, he gets thingy in the handcuffs at the end. Yeah, but he's on the floor. It's technically it's a win. It's, technically no, it's a win, but it's, it's not, it's not, uh, Sly or, or Arnie or Chuck Norris kicking someone's head off. Yeah. And, yeah, and even, sure. and you think the same year, Terminator 2, which by the way, what a year. I mean, I wish I was old enough to have gone, but you watch Terminator 2 and Point Break and, and both have got action stars that are starting to reveal a little bit of vulnerability. Terminator 2, obviously very sad thumbs up. And in this, Johnny Utah is a dumber <laughs> and gets his ass kicked at every turn. It's great. I, I missed a, a thing about the visuals, um, and Catherine Bigelow's choice to use the aspect ratio that she used here. Um, the first thing I noticed when I rewatched it was how narrow the the frame was it's it's uh, yeah. as far as i can tell on my bad research um it's a 2.20 to 1 because uh, oh. it's originally a 70 millimeter print uh so when it goes to home video and and for some projection it's 235 or 239 but it looked it looks super narrow right was it just me or uh, it it looks very slim I, I told a story on the the halloween halloween rewind thing with dev about how I bought Die Hard 2 and watched it on a little portable and it ca- it came out as like it was the size of like a shatterproof ruler it was just I, I, could, I, just, I couldn't see anything at all it was super animal letterbox yeah and it's crazy but th- this one was uh, sh- she's done this three times she did it on The Widowmaker she did it on Strange Days Right, because like you need to feel the sort of confinement. Yeah, confinement. Yeah, it does. It cr- it kind of compresses, and yeah. but it it adds a scope too. So like she did it on Strange Days, Widowmaker, and Point Break, but all with different cinematographers. So that was quite revealing about how, um, you know her her technical prowess. Really, I thought I thought that proved something on some level. 
Um, this approach was made famous by Freddie Young, who shot Lawrence of Arabia and Ryan's daughter for David Lean this way. But it's been used more and more over the years. Like I didn't realize it was used for Raiders of Lost Ark and Star Wars and, um, Dunkirk was another one that did it recently. If you're on a cinema scope, you've got so much dead space either side. If you're going for a close up on a, on a face in like a really big, big, big wide format. But she, she uses that breadth and range really, really well. I mean, it works for the surf stuff, which is the obvious. Well, that's what I, I was, that's what I was going to say. Juxtapose those close ups with these long shots where you're able to sort of hide the fact that it's probably not Patrick Swayze and it's definitely not Keanu, um, you know, doing some of the, some of the stunts, uh, certainly the surfing scene sequences. Apparently but, Patrick you know, Swayze was quite proud of the fact that he did a lot of the surfing. He broke some ribs doing it as well. He broke uh, yeah, yeah. And he, he loved doing the old para, uh, the parachute and stuff, which and is apparently great. Keanu was quite a good surfer at the time and he found it quite hard to look shit because he's, <laughs> he actually knows what he's doing. Oh, that, that smells like, is that IMDb? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> but I, I do love that <laughs> shot of Swayze throwing himself out of a plane. That oh, is, it's, a, it's one of the best shots in the film, isn't it? Yeah. It's so great. You can't fake that. And it's wasted on people today though, because they go, is that, is that CGI? It's like, no, it, it's absolutely not. There's no face replacement there. Right, well, uh, I think we may have very well hit the ultimate there and uh, and reached our the climax of uh, our discussion on Point Break. So I will leave it to uh, to find out our final thoughts. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll start with you, Patrick, because I'm really interested because uh, especially considering you said that you weren't uh, enamoured with the film in your first ever watch. So final thoughts on Point Break and would you recommend it to our listeners? Oh, well, I said before, like the fact... The film was almost kind of unmemorable to me the first time I watched it. I think it was around the time I was at uni. I think it was a late night show. The film has definitely got better for me. Um, I would recommend it. I think what, one of the things thinking about the film and listening to you guys in my research for it is I was, I was trying to find that example of an action film like this at the time that sparked that kind of revolution of action films and i I agree with you galley about that and it's time and place and for that it's um it's a recommend kind of purely on that really i I find it very entertaining and a lot when i when i watched it the second time ever i i was waiting for the foot chase i'm like that's the scene i know i want to watch that i want to pay attention to that and see if it's as impressive as i remember and it really was i think there's a real uh, show of filmmaking quality throughout this film. And I, I have spoken about this through t- today anyway, but that's kind of what, what the beauty of this film is. It's, um, it didn't allow me to pick it apart when I watched it the other day. Uh, it wasn't till after when I started to, you know, I could have done, but I didn't really want to because I enjoyed it. It, it was, uh, as I said, very entertaining and I, Bodhi's my favourite character in it, which is telling from Keanu Reeves' performance. Had he been a bit mm-hmm. better, it probably would have been Utah. And it just, I like the pacing. I like, I kind of got into the ridiculousness and that may be because now I've seen Hot Fuzz, whereas before I hadn't. So I could kind of get into that kind of action film trope in it because uh, I, I really enjoyed Gary Boosie spinning ridiculous lines and laughing maniacally. But... <laughs> There is, from an action film perspective, I just kind of go back to Johnny Utah throwing himself out of a plane with a, without parachute ridiculousness, but how 
awesome visually this film is. I think the editing is really great to, to create all of that as well. And we haven't really talked about the music because I think it's quite, um, understated, which, which does quite well with, apart from a few, um, really on the nose songs, like when he's learning to surf. Yeah. The song is, I will not fall. I will not fall. <laughs> um, so I think there is a knowingness from Bigelow in here, but she's, uh, it, it, it's a knowingness that really works for this film. Tonally, we're set up at the beginning, as we said, and maintaining that throughout is the key here. Um, I did, I do like it a lot more now, Gally. Uh, I think I relaxed into it. I think when I was younger, I didn't, I, I was put off by the silly dialogue and kind of it, that didn't really work for me, but now, I just think it's very fun and really fun scripts and dialogue. It, it did work for me a lot more. Um, how about you, Devlin? Um, very similar, to be honest. Um, pretty, uh, similar in that I, I was aware of the film, but I hadn't watched it for a very long time. And, uh, um, uh, this rewatch was, was kind of illuminating just for, for how much fun it is. I think, um, mm. it, it's a film that, that, that gets brought up after Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz kind of gave it a, a real shot in the arm, I think, for, uh, yeah, I think so. Like public perception of it. I think it really helped. And there's a thing that, uh, that Danny says in it when he just says he can't shoot him because he loves him so much. <laughs> <laughs> and what I like about that is that they don't define what that is. Cause I think that sometimes there can be a kind of prurience about, you know, the once people have realized that this, uh, there's homoerotic undertones, subtones, overtones and tones all across it, uh, that it can be a case of like, ah, so they just want to fuck. And then he can sort of box it up into like that and make it quite mm. silly and then sort of put it aside uh, uh, on a shelf. Whereas I think that one thing that's come out of the way we've been chatting about their relationship is that it's less definable than that. And that makes it really fascinating. There's a real ambiguity to the relationship, probably because the characters themselves are feeling kind of ambiguous about what the relationship between them is and what the attraction is. And, and that makes it, it makes you lean into it more. And it's probably why it's got a sort of cottage industry of, um, think piece writers who continue to kind of uh dredge up what it all really means and what it's all really saying and um what was interesting was that having read a few of those before watching the film and then going back and watching the film and realizing that you can read all that into it but the the kind of the super text of the whole thing is just a really fun film mm. like a, a fun film that mm -hmm. takes itself seriously but is also very silly and not in a way that makes you want to make fun of it, although I'm sure there are people out there who 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 do. Um, but that it sort of it comes across as a as this sort of perfectly formed version of exactly what they wanted to make, and that um, you needed to have that level of kind of self seriousness, but you also needed to have that level of absurd, you know, overwrought dialogue and and uh, really quite pitched up performances in some places. Um, so yeah, more than anything else, it's just, it's an awful lot of fun to watch. And I can, I can imagine it being the sort of film that people come back to a lot. 
Um, I don't know if that's uh, if that's you guys' experience, uh, Matt. I, I definitely want to watch it with you guys with a beer. Yeah, know, and enjoy it that way. Yeah. I, I think I, I'd like that's something I'd like to do. It would it would be a really a really fun film to watch as like as like a group. But Matt, you said that that you this one's been a, a ubiquitous one for you. But how is how is this rewatch? Well, I I agree. I think it's been a very similar experience. So, um, I I think a film combining an undercover cop and bank robberies was a great start. Uh, I'm kind of in before things really get started. Um, it was no stupider or dumber than anything else that like you mentioned the rock earlier. And that's another film that I would put alongside. This has just been daft, but, um, really enjoyable and very rewatchable. Um, what it does, it does commendably. We talked before about, you know, don't compare apples and oranges. It's not zero dark 30. It's, you know, it's just not that kind of film. Um, but I find it infinitely more enjoyable than uh than those films that bigelow made later on um much like patrick swayze there's no fat on it even at two (laughs) hours it's like it moves like a bullet um apart from a few slightly sluggish bullets well during these surf montages that are uh, a little bit excessive i think and slow it down that would be a nitpick i think um that also happens in the in the dreadful remake which also features the line you ready someone says You'll hit the point. What point? The point where you break. <laughs> oh, get out no, of yeah. town. That wasn't it, the point. break is where the waves hit land. Yeah. yeah, I know. It doesn't have anything to do with the original meaning. So, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it follows predictable beats, but it does them all very well. Um, and for its, for all of its proclivity to be silly, it somehow manages to simultaneously take itself quite seriously. Um, so sometimes that try-hard spirit can translate, you know, unintentionally into a funny action film. We've seen it before with Seagal and Under Siege 2, for example. Um, or sometimes it goes the other way and you get a very soulless um, film like the remake of Point Break. So um, whatever Bigelow that, did... Was that the point where you broke? <laughs> yeah, that was the point where I broke. Um, <laughs> whatever Bigelow did, I think we've got to the bottom of a lot of it. Um, it worked then and it works now. And I think it, it, the evidence is that it's very difficult to replicate it. So, um, however it came together and regardless of the original intent, I think it's a real knockout nineties action film. So I'll recommend it highly and thank Gally for selecting this one and hand it over to you, Gally. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's no secret, uh, in the fact that I'm going to highly recommend point break to listeners. Um, uh, those that have not seen it, those that haven't seen it in a long time, and those that didn't like it the first time they saw it, saw it, go back and watch it again. I, I weirdly, so I'm not a mad, I'm not mad keen on the Fast and the Furious franchise, and I do wonder because I did read uh, Roger Ebert's review of Point Break at the time, and uh, he very much just said it's fun but it's dumb, and he kind of left it as that, and I do wonder if. It's just a generational thing that I can't get into Fast and Furious mm. because it's 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 supposedly dumb and fun, and I can see more layers in this than than maybe the that series, but um, but it's definitely responsible for that series and the you know the the focus on the bromance and and having that be something that we're comfortable with uh, as audience members to to kind of just to sit and, and focus on that element and. I just find this film, it's not the best film in the world, but this is straight after I watched The Fly, 
I watch Point Break as a comfort film in the evening. So this is one that I will watch again, again, and again because I just think it's really fun. I think you guys have nailed it. It's, it doesn't. I don't think it's even trying to be anything more than fun. But the fact that you're able to dissect it and look at, uh, you know, characters, motivations, some of the themes, the fact that Catherine Bigelow is a female directing this very male-centered film uh, means that you can extrapolate things and. And look at them in in a greater lens. But the beauty of the film is you don't even need to do that. You can just watch it at surface level and just enjoy it for the visceral kinetic action, um, the amazing performances, and those on the nose uh, needle drops, <laughs> which we bloody love in films. But this, honestly, this is one of those films that that makes me want to go back to cinemas as soon as possible because this is why we enjoy movies, films like this. Don't get me wrong, I you know. Can, I've got time for a Hurt Locker in Zero Dark Thirty. I agree with you, Patrick. Detroit, uh, the best of the three. Um, but the, it's films like Point Break that, that stoke the fire of love for cinema. So, yeah, go out and watch Point Break. Um, unfortunately, listeners, a bit of an expensive one, but I will say that I think it's worth it. If you uh, not free to stream in the UK at the minute uh, on any uh, major services. Uh, you have to pay for it, so I think it was six ninety nine on Amazon oh, Prime, I, which is a bit. I got it for two hefty. quid off eBay. I I bought the DVD, and uh, because there is no postal service to my entire postcode district right now, I still had to buy it on digital. So I've Whoa. got a DVD turning up. If anyone wants it, <laughs> and also I was uh, no, I will keep it. But I was on the uh, I was on my little Skybox, and I was going to download. Um, I was going to buy and keep because I figured that was okay. That's the what I'm going to have to do. And much like an elderly, confused parent, I managed <laughs> to rent Point Break 2015 <laughs> by mistake. Uh, <laughs> what to keep as well? No, just to rent. Oh. Fortunately, so I, that's why I watched an hour and ten minutes of it last night, and I could, literally could not finish it. <laughs> so, so Devlin, you're telling everyone that you're the kind of person that's keeping a side. I would, I would alive. definitely buying transmorphers. I would definitely be the sort yeah. of person that would rent transmorphers. Yes, I am an idiot. Uh. If anyone would like to email me and ask me for my bank details for any serious reason, <laughs> I can only imagine I would be more than willing to offer them up. De- Devlin, I believe it's your choice uh, for another for the next throwback. So please enlighten us. Okay, with your choice, um, it's going to be a bit of an unusual one. Um, uh, much as with all the real girls, I would not imagine that there's going to be much in the way of uh, title recognition for this one. So uh, it will probably honestly be new to some of you and also probably for the, to the vast majority of the audience. But this is a film that I really like and that I think... Oh, God, five bullets to the chest or one to the head. Just tell me. Um, uh, I would like to watch... Um, John Huston's 1961 movie, The Misfits. Oh. I haven't seen this in years, Devlin. I haven't seen this for a long time. Like a virgin on prom night, we'd better disappear. So uh, we'll say, <laughs> hey, all I have to say is this was stimulating, but we're out of here. <laughs> it's Gary. On and out. Speaking to the microphone, squid brain, it's Devlin in London. The air got dirty and the sex got clean. It's Patrick from London. <laughs> Fire con Dios. It's Matt in South Korea. Thank you very much, everyone, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. Police got the ease in the street. Oh, yeah. Scaring the nation with their guns and ammunition.